Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Now you're welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. End of call here with you as we dissect Celtics 3-1 defeat to RB Leipzig in the Champions League. It could have been worse. It could have been 5-1, two disallowed goals for RB Leipzig on the night. And it was pretty much as bad as you could expect in terms of the results for Celtic. All is not lost though. They still have two home fixtures against RB Leipzig and Shakhtar that they can still mathematically get through this group. But it is becoming more unlikely as the weeks go on in this competition. It was not a fun night to be a Celtic supporter, and honestly, the reaction online afterwards was not a fun place to be either. So we're going to try do our best to get our, work our way through this game, analyze it to the best of our ability, and try to take some of the uh, maybe cognitive biases out of our reaction for this game. Juco James is with me as always, as is Alan Morrison, as we try to dissect this one. Um, Alan, I'll, I'll come to you first. This was probably the game that has most split the Celtic support this season. There's always one big game that brings an avalanche of rhetoric after the game, and I believe this was the one that did it this season. Yeah, I can I can only surmise that you know when the draw was made, this was a team that. It wouldn't be wrong to say they were in disarray, but they were certainly massively underperforming because they were in the middle of the Bundesliga, whereas, you know, the owners and the investment they've put into it, you know, and the performance of the the side over the last few years suggests they're in the Champions League spots and and that they're challenging at the top of the Bundesliga and that that wasn't happening. And, um, you know, we we kind of had a, I guess, thinking if if that's the version of Leipzig we're going to play, then that, We've got, you know, we've probably got a, a good chance here because they, they looked very dysfunctional. They didn't look like they were using the resources properly, um, you know, in terms of the, the 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 players that they had. And then, of course, you know, they got hammered in the first game, um, though it was a very odd game. And then they sat their manager. And whilst I wouldn't say that they are, uh, you know, seeing a renaissance, uh, I suspect that was probably the most coherent performance they've put in. Since uh, Rosa or Rosa, is it Rosa, uh, took over uh, about a month or so ago, um, and, and and certainly you know uh, as James has been saying for since the draw was made, their strengths very much are uh, in, are going to test Celtic in in the most extreme ways, and that's really what we we saw last night that you know Celtic's defensive shapes, especially the defensive strategies, I you know really couldn't cope with a forward line that fast, that that effective in transition and that sort of dedicated to throwing, um, you know, players forward at speed. Um, you know, it just didn't stand up to that stress at all. Mm-hmm. And we can dig into some of the fundamentals because I do, I do think, 
as much as Ange was frustrated at some of the defenders. And I know there's, there was a lot of, um, I believe there was quite a lot of criticism flying around internally in terms of, you know, the way that we're trying to play out from the back and being too safe with our passing and inviting pressure and putting heart under pressure ultimately and then that second goal. But I believe that we've got fundamental issues in how we're setting up that we can get into maybe later, which I think it does yeah. come down it does come down to the manager. Yeah, look, there is loads of things to actually touch upon from last night and we will get to them. And there are a lot of comments that have come in ahead of this podcast as well from our listeners on Twitter. And if you do have a comment, do leave them in the comments below. We'll try to get to as many as possible as we can before the end of uh, the podcast today. But James, just wanted to get your thoughts on, on Leipzig and their performance because I think while we will get to the Celtic performance, as Alan said, this was sort of the arrival of RB Leipzig under Marco Rosa. Everything, everything seemed to come together for them up front and when they clicked they were a really really good team yeah I, i'd agree in the sense that um they seem to be back to playing a coherent version of what red bull has been um kind of exclusive of that tedesco period where as alan rightly pointed out and he's uh exponentially better on that stuff than i am uh, as far as the tactical coherence and that kind of thing, or lack thereof. Um, but after looking through, I, I rewatched the game this morning and uh, did my usual kind of uh, debriefing on on the, uh, the statistical aspect of it. Um, I actually don't think Red Bull was that good. <laughs> they were they were okay. I mean, they they played reasonably well. Um, but after having rewatched, I mean, even above and beyond the offside. Um, calls, which were right. They were correct. Um, so it's not as if they were, you know, kind of a lucky thing or anything like that. It was, they were legit. Um, they had a, a probably good four or five other sequences of play. And that, that's probably being conservative, um, ranging from the first two within 90 seconds <laughs> um, to one at the 75th minute, one right at the end where, you know, things where there were jailbreaks in transition where just a little bit higher quality pass would have set people in one-on-one against heart, that kind of thing. I mean, that, so as, as frustrating as it was, um, had just kind of normal luck or variance or whatever, if it had been one of those games, uh, and this is what I've been saying on an XG basis, uh, we, we conceded, uh, based off stats bomb a little bit more, yesterday than we did against um not enough to matter but a little bit more than what we did against madrid real madrid um but these are the kind of games where again that level of xg is where you're in the zone of the barcelona seven nil the seven one psg right where, where you get this and leipzig's a step below them probably if not two but when you concede these amount of chances to this level of an opponent if they have a good day of passes coming off and or finishing coming off that's when you get absolutely slaughtered um and we didn't yesterday for a variety of reasons but it could have been um and and that that's ultimately where we're at is you know um i have it written down here these are stats bombs data starting with the alkmaar away game um last season um this is the xg that we've conceded against this kind of tier of a team and higher 
So 2.43 versus Alkmore, 2.37 against Bettis, 3.14 against Leverkusen, 2.34 against Leverkusen, 2.76 against Bettis, 2.51 against Real Madrid, and 2.54 against Leipzig. You can't do that. I mean, that, that over any kind of sample uh, at this level, you cannot win with any kind of regularity conceding those, that amount of chances. So, um, and, and you're going to end up getting absolutely slaughtered eventually when, when you fa- do that against somebody that finally has a good game cl- finishing and or uh, passing. Um, mm. So, you know, that's the, that's the higher time frame context. Um, uh, and that, that's seven games, basically. And th- th- we haven't really had a game against this level of an opponent where we haven't conceded that amount. So that, to me, is the huge concern. Um, you know, people talking about progress and all that other stuff. We're not having progress against this tier of opponent. Um, and you know, Alan's points will probably be a lot more adept and insightful than mine as far as why that is relative to tactics and that kind of thing. Um, but you know, it's kind of more of the same that we've had with different twists and turns and, you know, um, specifics with each opponent, but, um, that's kind of the broader, the, the broader story from my perspective. Well, let's start with the defense then, because it was not a makeshift defense because Celtic have played this before, but it is certainly not Celtic's first choice defense. Welsh and Jens played as a centre-back partnership, as expected when Starfelt was ruled out, as was Cameron Carter-Vickers. Juranovic was right back, Greg Tiller was left back. Now, I think that the defensive problems are actually not, caused largely by the defense, but we'll start with the defense here, Alan. Um, I want to focus on Juranovic and his defending at Champions League level and whether or not it is up to scratch. Now, I, looking back at the chance, I may have been a, a tiny touch harsh on Juranovic when it came to the Nkunku chance, but I still stand by the idea that he switches off for that. Now, you pointed out that he does have three or four different things to concentrate on, but my point is that he for one split second, is caught ball-watching and is flat-footed when Nkunku eventually makes his run. And Nkunku is fast on on the best of days. It's definitely not ideal if you give him a five-yard head start. So that's a couple of times now Juranovic has been caught by pace in behind. Is that a structural issue where Celtic are playing too narrow and too high? Or is that a Juranovic uh, concentration issue, in your opinion? I mean, for, for me, you have to start with the, the structure and the way the team's set up as a unit because if that's not right, then individual errors will appear to manifest themselves when it actually isn't the individual's fault. So if you look at the position that Juranovic was in for that goal, I mean, essentially, I mean, I, f- I felt so sorry for McGregor, then Abeldgaard, and the back four because at times it was like the Alamo. You know, you're you're looking at six very fast, very big, tall, six-foot athletic guys running at you at pace who are all good on the ball. Because when they attack, they attack with six players, right? They kept four central in a, in, in, in a, in a very close to each other. Uh, in, and then they had um, the two fullbacks that would bomb on at every opportunity. And essentially, it was a 2 2 when, when they had the ball, it was a 2 2 that they were playing. And we were trying to press high which meant that when the ball broke down in transition, it was six against five. Okay, so you're immediately outnumbered against a very high calibre of opponent 
because the, the the guy on the right hand side, like a bloody basketball player, you know, his legs were longer than Greg Taylor is tall, right? And then the one on the left is a German international, is the German international left back. So you've got this run, you've got this coming at you, and then the other four in the middle are fantastic technical footballers, and they're and they're athletic and strong. Okay, so in the situation that that um, for that goal again, I would take it back further. So you know, when you look at that goal um, that we conceded on the break, McGregor miscontrols it. Okay, that 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 happens. Um, but it's the, then the response because when you know they get a bit of luck again, you know the ball breaks to uh, Silva um, uh, on the run. But when Silva picks that ball up, there are eight Celtic players behind the ball at that point. Eight, okay, and you've got five Leipzig players in 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 motion to attack the ball. And in fact, there's there's you know there's there's only four Leipzig players at that moment. That moment when the transition starts. 30 yards from Leipzig's goal, there's eight Celtic players and four Leipzig players. The rest of the Leipzig players are in position to go, right? Because they've been playing this way for a long time and they know how to play it, right? So that was a trigger for them and they responded to that trigger very effectively. So when Juranovic and Hatati, who were the last two, see this onslaught, the cavalry charging towards... Let's creak. <laughs> you know... Actually, Nkunku's behind, uh, you know, Juranovic for starters. He's he's got to watch Silva on the ball, and he's got another player. Uh, and, and then he, and then when you talk about you know being being you know blown away by pace, I mean, Juranovic, I believe, is is one of the quickest, if not the quickest player at the club. Right? We saw we saw at least three occasions yesterday where Maeda took his man on for pace and just got just got blown away. Jota took his man on for pace, just got blown away. They weren't even challenged. The boy just stood in front of them, took the ball, and off they went. So what we think is fast and what we think pace is at the SPFL level isn't pace when you're up against Nkunku or Raum even or, or, the, or the basketball player at <laughs> Simakin at right back. It isn't. So there's an athletic def- deficit there. So to answer your question, I wouldn't look at it in that way. I think the defence were totally exposed. Um, the the sitting midfielder, such as it is, was totally outrun, whether it was McGregor or Abelgard, and, and and therefore individual errors will happen because the whole system has broken down at that point, and you're vastly outnumbered by athletically superior players. I'm not going to let him off that easily. I think he switches off. Genuinely, I think he switches off. It it, it really bugged me because he's the international player in that backline. He's the most experienced and quote unquote the best and. Honestly, it's you're not going to survive at this level if you switch off for those moments. And as much as I believe, and, and I do agree with you in, in large swathe, where the system does break down, the system breaks down much quicker when players switch off. And Juranovic switched off for that goal, and he was flat-footed, and he didn't give himself the best opportunity to get into position. Now, that's not to say Hart was in the best position for that goal either. But if we're talking about the the, the defence, I think... Um, I would be looking at Juranovic in the hope that he would uh, be in a better position for that goal. Um, that sort of brings me to two of the first questions that came in on our Twitter account when I asked for, for questions ahead of this podcast. Uh, Martin asks, uh, do we have a fitness or physical effort efficiency uh, issue at this level of football? And then Forright asks, 
why has Ange changed O'Reilly's role? Why are we trying to press so much when it's not sustainable? Where do we strengthen in January with an eye off improving performances in Europe? So, look, the Champions League is the highest level that you're going to play at. RB Leipzig have been playing at it for a number of years now. Celtic have not. These players have not. Uh, it was, for me, a schooling of physical effort, physical movement, and fitness. Celtic were not fit enough for this game. Even players who came on as subs were absolutely tanked by the end of it. Um, but we'll focus on we'll focus on O'Reilly because I think that affects the entire shape of the, the team and the entire system of the team. Uh, Alan, we've spoken about this already. We spoke about it last week um, in terms of the Motherwell game. For me, I think it's a waste of O'Reilly playing him in the 4-4-2 system off the ball and having him do most of the donkey work in the midfield and it leaves us further exposed in the midfield when our forward line wingers don't come in and, and fill the role that O'Reilly is supposed to be. Um, how much do you think that affects Celtic defensively? And then we'll get on to the offensive uh, stuff in a bit. Yeah, I mean, my point was that you know, you know, you've got to have some sort of shape, obviously, without the ball. And Celtic have gone for a four-four-two. I don't particularly have a problem with that. My problem with 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 it is isn't the four-four-two shape. It's the way that they've implemented it. And last night, the problem was that the spaces between the lines was just far too great. And it's a basic, basic, basic thing. Okay, and that that was really disappointing because that should have been fixed. Um, you know, from the touchline almost immediately. What well, you know, I think I think the defenders were spooked by the pace in their side, and they dropped off just too far, and that left a huge gap to midfield. But then there was a gap between midfield and forward. So if Kyogo and and um, O'Reilly were pressing, it was relatively easy to play beyond that press. So this, that that's a fundamental um, way that the team has set up that spacing. We need to be more compact. Um, off the ball. We also need to spend more time in that shape. We we press too often and at the wrong times and badly. And that's the other learning. And that comes back to the question that was asked there about fitness and perceptions of effort. Forget about effort, right? They were trying their hearts out, okay? Forget about that. And it's not, and even forget about fitness. It's about experience and it's about um con- it's about conditioning and, and, and being and being used to playing that type of football at that level against that type of opponent, and, and we just don't have it. And what I mean by that is when we play against the Scottish Premier League teams, we've generally got between 65 and 70% possession, which means for the other, you know, 20, 20, 30% of the time, that's when Celtic can press. And when they're pressing, they can press pretty high up and they're pressing against an opponent that doesn't have anything like the technical ability and athleticism that Leipzig have got, which means that the, when Celtic press, it's generally quite effective. And even if the press is broken, it's generally a lumped ball up to a big guy and, and, the, and the team can recover back to halfway quite quickly and get back into shape. And they only have to do that for a small percentage of the game. Okay, Last night, you've got 45% possession, which means 55% of the time you're not on the ball. Which means that suddenly the amount of time that you're you're pressing is hugely increased. Not only that, you're trying to press against a vastly superior opponent in terms of the technical ability of the defenders and their ability to break quickly against a team that's used to playing that way and actually wants to play that way. Because they, when they had the ball and Celtic were in a relatively medium block, 
you know, th- th- in the second half when Celtic tired, they were playing quick passes through. But in the first half, they didn't really know what to do with the ball because they didn't really want to play that way. They wanted to play in transition. So the, Celt- the team are not used to playing, you know, pressing for f- without the ball 55% of the time. Not only that, they're not used to playing against teams that can break the press so easily. Or Having broken the press and then playing against quick players, what you then have to do is you have to put in a recovery run. A recovery run is just a posh way of saying you've got to get your head down and sprint like a bastard to get back as quickly as you can. It's unpleasant, it's horrible, it hurts. And when you're having to do that time and time and time again, you've only got so many of those sprints in you before your body can't do it anymore. And that's what's been happening in these European games. We can't play like that against that calibre of opposition and put in the same physical effort that we use for 20% or 30% of the time in the Scottish game against better opponents who can break quicker, are harder to to catch and are harder to recover against. We we died Mm -hmm. in our arses again after 50, 60 minutes. It was was pretty much a rerun of the Madrid game. At halftime, everything was pretty much level. Now, there was, as I say, there was fundamental weaknesses. We pressed badly, and it was amazing we got to halftime level, and that shows you how effective it can be, right? So that's the positive here, is that the reason it was level at halftime is because we pressed really badly on, at moments, and we pressed really well in moments, and we made them cough up the ball in their own final third eight times in that first half. We forced them into four defensive errors, and, and we, we were pretty much we were ahead on XG slightly at halftime. That's good, right? But but it's fundamentally flawed because the team collapses physically after fifty five minutes because it can't it can't keep doing that, and that's the fundamental problem. The spacing is wrong in the defense when when, when we're we are set mm-hmm. set back. We're, we're not compact enough, and the pressing does it. We're, we're pressing too often for what is physically possible for our team to do at that level. And those are that's that those are tactical. Those are tactical things. That's not the players' yeah. fault. They, yeah. they have to be addressed tactically. And I think that's one of the issues that we're seeing with Matt O'Reilly is what you're talking about, these recovery runs. Is A lot of people were questioning during the game the, the sort of invisible man that Matt O'Reilly was or when he got the ball, he was ineffective. I think he's just absolutely bollocks every time he gets the ball and he can't do anything with it then because he's still out of breath from recovering. Uh, James, a lot. Let, do you have TalkSport? Do you know what TalkSport is? Yeah, that's the call-in show, right? For yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's very hi- hyperbolic. So let's let's pretend we're talk sport for a second. Here. <laughs> Don't encourage him. <laughs> no. well, before hold on, before let's... you get into that, can I throw just a couple of data things in? Okay, go for All it. Right, real quick, I'll, I'll be quick. Uh, and for, I want to say because I know Alan's been dying for one of my boxing analogies. Uh, <laughs> is you know talking about the spacing between the lines and this issue with the players being maybe a little. Um, jarred with the pace that they were seeing um and i mentioned that those two chances in the first basically 90 seconds or maybe two minutes you know it's the it's the old mike tyson quote is that everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face right so we very likely probably had this plan going in and not the plan wasn't to have acres of space between the lines and then literally within 90 seconds they had two jailbreaks where they ran at us like alan was saying as if it was a blitzkrieg of five six guys just <laughs> descending upon our back five um, and they almost scored two goals right away. And, and so it's only human that that's going to cause, 
you know, some serious issues amongst people's psyche and, oh my God, like, what are we dealing with here? So that's the first thing. The, the number is um, out of the games played uh, the, the, this round in the Champions League, um, Manchester City, uh, their game, they had the ball in play time. I've referenced this before, right, when we played Madrid. Uh, their game t- had 64 minutes of ball and play time. Uh, Real Madrid against Shakhtar, 61 minutes. Our game, 60 minutes. Okay. So again, back to this thing that Alan said, not only with all the possession, all of the intensity, the ball was in play about 20% more than what we're used to domestically, which yeah. just makes this all this stuff even worse. Um, and it was similar, actually a little higher against Madrid in that game. So I just wanted to throw those those two data points and the conceptual point out. So sorry, go back to your talk sport uh, gutter. Yeah, back to gutter we're, dwelling. We're, we're, we're going away from all that shit and going back into talk sport and uh, the real radio for the real fans. No, look, what I was going to say was there are there is this opinion, and it always seems to happen uh, when Celtic lose. Funny enough, it's uh, a very quiet part of the Celtic fan base when Celtic are on a, a winning streak. And it's very, very similar to uh, watching Ireland and being an Ireland supporter at the minute with what's going on with Stephen Kenny. Stephen Kenny is trying to play a different brand of football at international football uh, international level, he's trying to change Ireland's identity. It's taking a long time. And against bigger sides, while we have put in the performances, the performances are better and the performances are better than we've done for a long time. We're still coming off pretty badly beaten by the end of the game so the question always pops up then is this system too much for the quality of players that Ireland have so let's take that in a Celtic perspective because there is this uh, opinion now with Ainz that he's out of his depth when it comes to European football the players that he's working with are not good enough to play with this system that he's playing in Europe and the system itself is fundamentally flawed when it comes to playing at a European level. So I'll throw that to you, James. Do Celtic need to change their system in order to suit European football? Um, Well, based off of what I ranted on about the XG part, um, I would say unless we have a significant uptick in, and I I put this on uh, Twitter, I think, yesterday or this morning, I can't remember. Um, Unless we, we, you know, basically get the Ange level of, um, intelligence in recruitment, meaning that, as I've been saying, I've been very, you know, complimentary of, of Ange as a manager, meaning a head coach, the, you know, the, the, impl- the, the application of, of uh, his system, that kind of thing. But that simply has not been replicated in recruitment. And uh, the idea that we're going to be pulling 23 to 27 year old talent levels out of which, which are basically champion upper championship lower premier league level talent which is where our money is our wage availability probably is and that's at the high end um that we're going to put assemble a team of those level of talent players to be able to play this system given all the stuff that alan's talking about uh, at this level against this level of an opponent i think is just unrealistic um so that's why i've been saying if we're going to tr- attempt this project this way the, really, the only way to do it is to find the, uh, you know, the Verners and and Cuckoo or whatever you say his name, you know, the, the basketball player, as Alan said, we, we've got to find those, either grow them, which, you know, our academy is pretty much in shambles at the moment, 
Um, and again, I know that these are not uh, fun things to hear. And, you know, I'm a fairly disagreeable person when it comes to this stuff, but it is, I mean, objectively, you can't look at what's going on in our Academy in the last five years and, and say that it's anything that's going in the, a good direction. Uh, so we're not growing them with any kind of um, reliability. So that's the Sevilla window or the model or Benfica or Porto, throw that into the garbage. So how are you going to attract them? You got to buy them when they're 17, 18, 19 at that talent athleticism level and live with the reality that they're not going to be mentally mature quite yet. Um, and we just haven't been doing that. So, you know, uh, look at our recruitment. It's almost all 23 to 27 year olds from that kind of tier. And you're not going to get elite athleticism in that price range with any kind of regularity. Um, in my opinion. So you're going to live with this issue unless you change that strategy. Um, you know, and, and even O'Reilly is a perfect example. You know, there's different forms of athleticism. O'Reilly, we've talked about over and over again, seems to have, you know, high level functioning in certain aspects of athleticism, but he's not that fast and he's not that laterally quick. So can you carry that level of person in this kind of side if he's surrounded by elite athletic people? You know, a bunch of 20-year-olds who can run like the wind, um, probably. But, you know, he's, he, can, can you hold that kind of player for that kind of role, uh, creative role, intelligence, game intelligence, vision, all of these things, if you don't have them surrounded by those people? And I, I think as we saw and we've been seeing repeatedly, we saw it with Rockets last season against this level, David Turnbull, same thing. You know, you, you just can't be having this athleticism deficit and playing this way against this level of an opponent. Um, mm. And again, B Bettis is not like Bettis's wage bill isn't that much higher than ours. Right. Um, neither. You know, this talk about Red Bull and endless resources. That's nonsense. Like they don't spend that much money. They're not spending money like a man city. So their wage bill is probably about two, two and a half times ours. So is it? You know, th these are the if we're going to be ambitious in Europe, this is the level of team that we've got to be able to compete with. And we're not. I mean, we're just simply not. Um, mm -hmm. So continue. You know, it's the old saying, the definition of insanity, keep doing the same thing and over and over again and expecting a different result. You know, I think we're pursuing that path at the at the moment. Yeah, it, it it does really hurt my head a little bit how similar what Celtic in Europe is to Ireland at international level at the minute. So I'm gonna I'm gonna continue on in that vein. And um, one of the things that we speak about quite regularly on this podcast is cup competition against league competition, and we generally talk about how you know league form can. You look at the performance, and over a long period of time, you can actually predict pretty well whether a team is going to eventually turn or not for the, the better or the worse based on the underlying data. Alan, is what Celtic are doing in Europe, is it developing? Is it progressing? Is it, I know we're, what, we're in competition number three technically of European football. We'll say the second year of European football of Ange because, I mean, last season doesn't really count all that much when you're talking about the two competitions. But is, is what you're seeing in the data giving you hope that at some point this will turn for Celtic at some point they will take their chances they're creating enough in order to get uh, some more points on the board or are you more worried now after watching the three games 
So a little bit of perspective. I mean, we're very early still into this project. Yeah, right? that that is and, the and that is the context. I will. We've literally got a, sam- us, yeah. a sample of you know arguably four games last season against Batiste and Leverkusen, and then three games uh, this season. Uh, we've played each 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 team once in this group. So literally, we've got a sample of seven games. I think we're forming this this opinion on right. So let let's take a bit of perspective there. Also. You have to say that the team, albeit I know form at the moment, is not great, um, uh, either against Motherwell or St. Mirren, but over a year, a period of a year. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The team have been molded to play incredibly effectively this way in Scottish football. And uh, you know, and that that is definitely a, a plus. So the team can play this way, and it can play it against certain opponents under certain circumstances. And they've absolutely deserved the right to to try to test themselves against uh, the Champions League teams. Now, you know, everything that 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 I believe that is true, and it is also simultaneously at the same time true to say you know what James has said, which is that whilst we are creating more chances than we've probably ever created at Champions League level. Um, it's difficult to say that you know the, the gaps between teams is growing all the time financially, right? So you know the self the Celtic team of Martin O'Neill, you know, m- may have punched above their weight when you look back at it now, but the teams that they were playing weren't as far ahead financially as as teams that we're playing now now are. So it's difficult to make that absolute comparison, but it is undoubtedly true that we're, we're consistently giving up, you know. Over two xG a game, and if you look at the SPFL this season, uh, there's only thirteen times, uh, uh, thirteen t- eighteen times in total that a team has got more than two xG in a game, right? And and more than half of that is down to the top two. So you can't, you can't, as James said, you can't keep keep doing that. So for me, I, I wouldn't you know, sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, Postecoglou is a, a world known, uh, respected coach. He's he's been able to implement his ideas in various environments. I believe he's also been able to do it at Celtic over the last year very quickly. I, I believe that he will get it right, but but certain things need to change. We can't carry on playing the way we're playing exactly. Uh, it is about doing things better. It's not, I'm not talking about changing the style of play. I'm talking about doing it a lot better because the problem at the moment isn't that isn't isn't the style of play per se. It's that we're not doing it properly or we're doing it badly. We're making bad decisions, you know. As I say, the the, the defensive alignment in terms of spacing, they have to be firmer 
in their high line. They dropped back too deep last night, and I know and James is absolutely spot on as to possibly psychologically why that was. You have to be brave. You have to to, to keep that compact, and you have to keep that high line, and you have to be more compact. When we're pressing, we just have to press more selectively, and that comes down to decision-making. And guess what? That's the hardest thing to do. So what I'd like to see us do is actually press less, but more specifically and more uh, appropriately at the right times, uh, knowing that we cannot, you know, we've only got so many, think of it as a, as a sort of, you know, uh, think of it as a sort of a, a tank of it, a pressing energy. We've only got so much pressing energy in a game. You can't, you can't have used your pressing energy by the 55th minute. You've got to make it last to at least the 80th minute. <laughs> and and then you can always fall back to a, a, a low block at that point and see out the game or whatever. But you've got to get beyond that 55 minute sort of, um, where your pressing energy tank is completely, uh, you know, emptied. So those are those are those are probably small tweaks conceptually. They're probably quite big tweaks in terms of when was, when can Celtic, you know, implement that, test it, because they, you know, against St Mirren or St Johnson or what have you, you expect the team to go full pelt for ninety minutes because again, seventy percent possession, etc. And and so this is the conundrum, and it always has been the conundrum. What we can't also do is play the same way that's proving to be incredibly effective and consistent in Scotland, where we're consistently posting plus two xg difference against each and every opponent that we play. You don't throw that away because that's almost like you've found the magic formula, right? And then say, oh, we're going to play completely differently in Europe because that doesn't work either. So we have to do it better is what it comes down to. Now, to come back to James on how do we do that in terms of player recruitment, I do. this is where we kind of disagree because this is exactly what James has described is what Leipzig do, okay? So Leipzig can afford to invest between, you know, high, high eight, nine, to 15 to 20 million euros on teenage players, right? Gvardiol, Nkunku, um, Simakan, right? They can afford to do that because if it comes off, they get they, they sell them for 60, 70, 80 million. It's, 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 it's the same as what Ajax do. It's a different level of trade player trading model that, that we are able to implement. If Celtic spend 6 million pounds, euros on a player, it's a big deal and, and we have to get it right. We knew what we were getting with Carter Vickers. We knew what we were getting with Jota. It was low risk. We can't spend six million on a teenager from West Africa and hope that it might work out. We could probably do that once. If it doesn't work, we're probably blown it for that year. Okay, so we're working in a completely different environment. We can't do it. The the, mod, the player trading model that we've got at the moment is relatively smart. We're taking players in their early twenties who previously have shown enormous potential to be in and maybe even have been in that 10, 15 million teenager range and it hasn't worked out and this is their second chance at making it at a big club. That's a smart model. These are players that are hungry, have got things to prove, have shown in the past they've got high potential and in the sausage factory of the big five leagues, for whatever reason, it's not worked out. That, that to me is smart and it's probably lower risk. And that's where we are at the moment. So this is where I disagree with James. I don't think we can go down the teenager route. We simply can't afford to spend the money you need to get the athletes that Leipzig can get uh, and get and, and get it wrong even once. It's just too expensive. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I think it's very reasonable, understandable. But I think to your point, it's the lower risk one, but it also dramatically cuts off the top, meaning that the, it raises the floor probably, but it also chops off and creates a ceiling. Um and, and I think that that's 
I, I, I'm not saying that that's an unreasonable path. I'm saying that that probably means that we're sentencing ourselves to, you know, a Europa League level uh, uh, team. And, and we're, we're going to be in this group of teams that when you do make it into the Champions League, you're probably just going to get slaughtered. You're going to get led to slaughter. Well, and, and that's just the reality of it. And again, that's fine. But, you know, it's risk reward. And I, I don't disagree. It would have to be. And I don't think Leipzig's the model. It's more closer to uh, Salzburg, which, you know, they're, that's where they live. They live with their, their Austria two team leafering or whatever. Right. That, that, you know, and we had a CEO hired who's talked about benchmarking to them and he lasted about six weeks. <laughs> um, so, you know, going that kind of route is not going to be easy. It's going to be, there's going to be risk with it. Um, but you know, that that's the club that's pursuing this kind of path and, and making it work and selling people to Leipzig for 30, 40, so, 50 million. Yeah. But, so, so, yeah. So, so, okay. So we also need to grow our own in, uh, in parallel at the same time. Right. I, we, I, we, we have to, maybe become... we do, maybe we don't, Alan. I, I, that's the, I think where there's a lot of fertile conversation <clears throat> because everyone's trying to have an academy now because everyone's trying to grow these young players. Um, so, you know, where's the, um, I, I haven't seen any evidence of, uh, you know, what they say, unique selling proposition, right? Where, where's the IP? Where's the intellectual property? I haven't seen any evidence that we have an, a competitive advantage to be pouring resources into an academy system, which quite frankly has been dreadful for how long, long. No, I agree. We, I agree. We have the out years. So, you know, who, who's the the wizard that's going to come in and turn this into something that's going to be Sevilla or Benfica or... Yeah, no, I, can, I, come, back, I come back to, you know, we're in the first year. And I'm, 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 I'm like you, I want to see improvement across the whole... Yeah, but when, when has Ange built that? Football operations. Yeah. This, is, this is where, again, he's a really smart, ambitious, talented guy, but we're, we're now calling him the architect of a first-class academy he's going to be the architect of a world-class recruiting system he's also going to be uh the architect of one of the best coaches in the world i call that fantasy land uh that's not going to happen that's the old model that's joe jockstein 40 years ago 50 years ago that's not the pragmatic you know the reasonable way that this is done these days can I just inter- interject here for one second? Because, look, look, we could go on for days about the future and how we're going to sell players for 60 million. It's not going to happen in the next five, six, seven years. It, it, it needs to be something that's built. But what we have to look at what is success for Celtic in European football. Celtic are not going to win the Champions League. We need to just give up on that dream. Celtic are never going to win the Champions League with the odds stacked against them in the manner in which they are. If you just look at the RB Leipzig team, for example, if you go on to Transfermarkt and, you know, you can say what you want about their ratings and, and all that there, but they're more or less close to what they usually are. Christopher Nkunku, 72 million. Uh, Almo, 36 million. Leimar, 25 million. Andre Silva, 25 million. They've got more players that are over the, the 25 to 30 million mark in their worth. Celtic's highest rated uh, player in terms of transfer value by transfer market is Cal McGregor at seven million. That's that's the competitive edge. But my, and the point I'm trying to make here is that Rangers got to the Europa League final last season and were a penalty shootout away from winning the second most prestigious trophy in 
Europe in club football, they don't have an academy system, you know, throwing out players. They, they're not selling their players for, for 30, 40 million. So there has to be a middle ground here where Celtic work within the resources that they have and also do it on the pitch. And so far, Celtic have not done it on the European field. That's right. My, and with, with so all is success with, for for Celtic now under Ange in European football, Europa League success because I would take a European trophy. I take the Europa I, League. I, I I think so. With all of uh, you know my my uh, positive uh, rhetoric about the future, uh, tongue in cheek. You know where where are we at right now? What's well, basically where we were at when all this started, which is probably good shot at finishing third in the group, right? That's what we talked about uh, when this group was announced. Maybe getting some real beatings from Real Madrid and Leipzig. Uh, uh, probably looking pretty good because Shakhtar plays a way that matches actually the opposite of Leipzig, plays a way that actually matches up really well with us. Uh, and then getting in the Europa League and hopefully having a run. Um, but the the analogy with Rangers last season, Rangers play a system that is the opposite of ours. It's it's more aligned with Europe and less so domestically, and we're the opposite um, le- relative to risk and variance, right? So they play a more defensive, a more you know uh, counterattack type of 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 way in Europe, and you know that reduces <clears throat> risk in a lot of ways. Um, and it's the opposite of how we're going about it. I think there's plenty of reasonable discussion about, you know, whether that's a good idea, the culture of the club, all that stuff's important. Mm-hmm. Um, but the practical reality is for us to be going even into the knockout stages of the Europa League. Again, these are the Leipzig are the type of teams that we're going to face there. Um, you know, when you get into that last kind of quarterfinals forward, could we you know, have a, a good stretch where our finishing is great and the opponents is not, it's possible, but the, you know, if we're keep considering two plus an XG, <laughs> that's going to be probably pretty unlikely to put a string together, right? You might get a one-off here and there. Um, and, and I just wanted to point this out because again, I, to put context into this in the three years that Rogers was manager, where we went into Europe two champions league dropped into Europa league once, and in the second, uh, the third season in Europa League, um, we had seven games in total where we conceded this kind of XG. Only one was kind of the weird one in Astana. Now, this is using Scout's XG model, so it's not a perfect apples to apples. Um, but the rest were against Man City, uh, Barcelona twice, Bayern Munich, PSG, and Salzburg twice. Right? So that's seven games over three seasons. We've had seven in the last 13 months. Right. So again, I, I agree with Alan. The sample's not huge, but the consistency of the sample now, I mean, it's literally we have not played a team that's of this level and not done it. And oh, by the way, throw in Bodo Glimp that experience. And there's a, some extenuating circumstances there because of the selection issues and the prioritization, probably. But um, so if you take that totality, that's the the broader context, I think. Um and and, and why, you know. I, I think having a reasonable expectation at this point, now can it change if recruitment continues to improve and that kind of stuff? Possible. But given our current constitution, the idea that we're going to reasonably have a late run in the Europa League, that's probably, I think is probably pretty low because of the inability to keep chance creation from 
this level of opponent at a reasonable level. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's a really difficult conversation to have in terms of this Celtic fan base and what we expect from the team. I, for one, expect Celtic to be in the Champions League competing at a pretty decent level, and especially when we have what I feel is going to be a generational manager um, in Ange Postacoglu who's going to go on to, let's face it, probably uh, bigger things in Europe in the next 10, 15 years if he's not sticking around Celtic for that long. Um, but if you even just look at some of the clubs that are competing at a lower level now in European football, Roma were the team that went on to win the Europa Conference League, for God's sake. And you saw what that meant to one of the most established managers in the world in Jose Mourinho. Rangers and Frankfurt were in the Europa League. The Champions League is essentially the Super League. If you look at the the last 15 years, the teams that are getting to the quarterfinal, semifinal, final are coming from the top two of English Premier League, the top two of La Liga, the top two of Bund- or the top one of the Bundesliga, and maybe one team from Serie A. So I think it might be a time to reestablish where we think Celtic should be in that world football pecking order. Um, I think we're a Europa League side, and we're a side that could go well in Europa League, and we should expect them to go well in the Europa League. But I think a good result now for Celtic in this group stage is finishing third. I genuinely do. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm being a bit defeatist in that. And maybe the older fans won't agree with me on that. But I, that's where I think Celtic realistically are in the world f- football pecking order in terms of finances, resources, everything to do with it. Unless there's a Super League that uh, breaks away now and the Champions League changes absolutely fundamentally. Celtic are not winning the Champions League anytime, anytime, any, ever, ever again, never again. Yeah, well, I mean, that's probably true in terms of the Champions League. But, I mean, I, you know, because of the vagaries of football, low-scoring sport and all that, you know, you always get r- results in cup football. So things can happen. Um, you know, I, I, so that's why I look at performances, really. And I think what we're trying to talk, what James's point is that over that seven-game sample, the evidence is that the performances in terms of the ability to keep the opponent out isn't improving. Okay, now, I still think it's early days. I really do. But I'm, 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 you know, I would move over into that camp if over the next, you know, three games, and then looking. At, hopefully, we keep playing European football after Christmas, and if there's still no improvement, and then you get into next season, there's still no improvement. You start to think, well, you know, you're not learning here, and that would be a problem for me at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's completely normal for me for a, a, a relatively young team um, who haven't, who broadly, apart from one or two exceptions, haven't played Champions League football with a manager who's never played Champions League football, to play Champions League football and to struggle, right? That, to me, is completely normal because this is just super tough. And you saw, you know, last night, the, the quality of the finishing, the quality of some of the interplay. You just, and, and, you know, the risk is there. You lose 3-1, but it could be 7-1 easily. could easily have been 4-5-6 uh, the more that game went on. And that's the inherent risk playing up a quality, that level of quality compared to what you play every Saturday. So, you know, for, for me, you, you've got to give, you've got to understand we're at the very start still of this journey. I do take James's point. It's a good benchmark, and it's something that we need to keep measuring ourselves against to say, are we improving? If we do, if we do keep improving, I do think you know we we, we still got the capacity to, to to spring a surprise. But spring surprise isn't going to top a group with Real Madrid in it. You know, we, we might you know we might pull off a Barcelona type result and beat them beat them once. 
we probably won't do it twice in the same group, very unlikely. And then to do it again to a team who's the next rank down and not as good as them, but still a lot better than Celtic, to do that twice, again, highly unlikely. Okay, so um, we have to be realistic, but we have, what we have to track is performances because that's the things that we can control. We can't control how much money Real Madrid have got. We can't control how much money Leipzig have got and so forth. All we can control is our own performances. And that's ultimately what, what we try and what I try, what I'm trying to provide context against, really. Yeah, and I uh, I know we have to wrap this up fairly shortly. I did just want to get the one comment. I know this is completely sort of a a left field turn that I'm about to take, but I forgot to get it in earlier on. I just wanted to uh, touch on Greg Taylor and his performance last night because the eye test tells me that he was playing pretty well. And a question comes in from Philip McLaughlin on Twitter. He asks about Greg Taylor's performance and said that he looked pretty pretty good in the Champions League and has done in the last couple of performances. Um, but is this more down to people having a low expectation of how he would perform? Or is this down to Greg Taylor actually playing well? I think he's played really well for Greg Taylor. I mean, that that's... <laughs> But That's and, and, and I don't I don't mean that as an insult, but again, as, as Alan says, you know, these fine margins, the, the second chance within the first 90 seconds was Taylor getting beat by the basketball player on a header, which, you know, again, nothing new and then getting absolutely smoked for pace off a guy who's just his athletic superior. Um, and that's when that's the inherent fragility of a player of his uh athletic profile and and his his defensive work when he was got close enough to people um his passing generally was was pretty good he was one of the probably one of the better players as far as not conceding possession and giving them an opposite uh uh uh, opportunities in transition um Mm -hmm. so yeah i thought he played really well given that he's not going to all of a sudden pick up three yards in pace (laughs) magically uh against a guy who's lightning fast and what three or four or five inches taller than him yeah i yeah. i know that doesn't really make sense uh podcast wise and it's sort of uh jumping into a topic that should have been spoken about about 40 minutes ago but i'll, I'll give you the last word on it now no just i agree and you know I, I had i had taylor and welsh actually as being you know the, the best performers individually on the night but in a sense that's kind of meaningless because again to me, it is all about the team, and it's the team. What is absolutely crucial is that the team is functioning coherently, and it didn't for me, especially without the ball. And and so individuals can do their little bits within that, but ultimately, you know, the way that Postecoglou plays, there has to be a the team dynamic has, and then then the individuals can shine within that. So I would say Taylor and, and Welsh, you know, performed well despite everything that was going on around them, frankly. And probably mm-hmm. and probably because they were able to react and things happened to go their way in terms of it wasn't them that, that misplaced that many passes into midfield. It wasn't them that got caught out on the transition. Yeah, and that was probably just fortune, frankly, because it was actually the system that was that was failing. So yeah, no credit to them for 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 good performances, but um, yeah, it's 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 the system that, that that really we need to look at based on last night. And I I I'd act, I think that's I'm in a hundred percent agreement with with Alan there. Um, and I I you know I've not been uh, the charter member of the Joe Hart fan club since the time he was signed. 
Uh, but I think to all of a sudden get hypercritical of him is also unfair for the exact reasons that Alan just cited, which is, you know, it was a system issue and it basically uh, exposed his weaknesses. And he happened to have a mistake within that, a couple of mistakes within that context. But that's mm -hmm. the thing. If you stress test people and the system's failing, that's when their weaknesses are all of a sudden going to bubble to the top. Um, and, you know, that was on um, full alert uh, yesterday with Hart, unfortunately. Um, but it's not his fault. I mean, again, everyone's all these guys are trying. Um, it's just really tough matchup and, and some things that uh, went horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. Did you forget that we're on TalkSport? You're not supposed to say that you feel sorry for some of these players you're supposed to absolutely ruin their careers and say they should never play for the club again into the bin. question their question their integrity and character that's what you're supposed to do on they're cowards they're so so that's my pet peeve is you know uh delving into the emotional side of this call you know uh questioning people's um you know character and their their drive and their effort and you know it, 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 a lot of the times it's just simply bad matchups, bad, bad, uh, bad luck. You know, the fact that these guys aren't fit and that's, it's not, it's just, I think that's over the top. Um, and you know, these guys are, they're all working hard. It's just some of these problems are kind of intractable, um, as we've talked about. Yeah. And it was, it, it was, you know, the real, the real Madrid game, I came away thinking, okay, fair enough. It's it's Real Madrid. These guys won the Champions League last year. The Shakhtar game I was disappointed with because I felt Celtic left that behind them. I did think that was three points. The Celtic definitely could have could have got themselves. And then last night, I although I was disappointed with some of the performances, and I, I was I was annoyed at some of the safe passing that they they did have. I did actually come away just thinking. God, that RB Leipzig side are actually much better than I expected them to be. Um, they were just, they were so, so good. I mean, they're, they're right back. Um, what, what was his name? Sick? Simikin. Simikin. He yeah. was just exceptional on the night. And uh, really, oh, that, really third, that third goal was just, I mean, spectacular. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. spectacular. It's really tough to deal with. Um, just before we finish up, Thomas Kane makes a very excellent point that we should uh, all uh, touch upon, and that is good luck to Omoni and Nicosia tonight. Uh, Neil Francis Lennon <laughs> taking on Manchester United in the Europa, Europa League, I think it is, in the, in the Thursday night. So uh, good luck, Neil. I hope uh, everything goes well for you and the 2012 Celtic team. Uh, Alan so, something tells me he, he's going to need a uh, Forster-type performance from whoever his keeper is. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Where, wherever they're based, I don't. It would uh... Cyprus. Cyprus, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm surprised they didn't actually sign Arthur Burke or someone up at this point in time. Uh, <laughs> he's he's managed to uh, managed to bring a lot of uh, players who I thought were retired at this point back to uh, the Europa League. So fair play to Neil Lennon. You have to say credit where credit is due. He has them playing in the Europa League now, and um, we'll we'll all watch that on intently. I'm sure. But uh, that's where we'll wrap up the podcast for this evening. St. Johnson this weekend, and then another game against RB Leipzig next week in the Champions League, this time home. So that's where this is where I'm going to be judging Celtic, the home games against these teams. Um, Especially against Shakhtar. That, to me, is yeah. the huge one. Uh, that's I the one that we should do very well, and not only from a result perspective, but we should perform very well against them in that matchup at home. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, that's the biggie. If Celtic don't away, don't come away from this group with four points at a minimum, I will be quite quite annoyed and disappointed at this point in time. But uh, we'll wait and see. We'll we'll as, as annoyed as when uh, Jota doesn't score when you've bet the the house money, the rent money, or <laughs> no? Did you no, have not quite at least? Did you have no? Oh, no, 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 Ouch. no. I, I mean, listen. I, remember, remember as well. Just 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 to, just to wrap up. Remember as well. Listen. There's different ways to lose a football match, and although we lost by two goals, and, and there's probably got no points. Right. At least during the game, you saw, you know, glimpses of the possible. Right. That you saw glimpses of the art of the possible. You saw where it could go well. You saw how it could, um, how Celtic could get results against good teams. Right. You, you could easily we could easily have parked the bus, hope to not get, get beat five nil, get beat two nil anyway, and then go home thinking, well, at least we didn't get hammered, and I'm not going to get sacked. And who wants to watch that, right? So. Mm-hmm. At least the art of the possible it was still, you know, we're still, we're still sort of reach, reach for those stars, and there's, there's, there's a bit of nobility in that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Spoken like a true Ireland uh, international supporter. That's what you are, Alan. That's point in time. I've converted them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, lads. Thanks very much as always, and thanks to everybody who watched and commented live on the stream. If you want to get the podcast back, if you were joining us late, or you want to get the podcast uh, anyway, you can get it on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast as well. And if you want to see our pretty faces every week, then the best place to do that is over on the YouTube channel at a, at the Huddle Breakdown. If you want to subscribe and get the podcast and all the other content across the channel as well. We'll be back again next week. Maybe we might do the same as this week where we had a, a sort of a double pod with the, the league and the, the preview and then a review of the home game against RB Leipzig as well. So, uh, James Allen, thanks very much. Thanks, guys. Okay. We'll chat to you all later. Good luck. Time to play the game.